uh, God, that they would be for your, and your glory and yours alone. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, Dan, and good morning, New Hope. And uh, I want to welcome, as Dan did already, those of you watching online, glad that you are with us this morning. We truly are one church worshiping in a whole lot of locations this Labor Day weekend, and so it is uh, good to be together. My name is Ryan, I'm the lead pastor here at uh, New Hope, and if you would, please, as we say every Sunday, grab your Bibles, uh, whether it's a digital version or a paper version, whatever it is you use. And I'm going to direct you to two different places this morning. If you would thumb your way through and go to both Psalm 46 as well as Genesis 22. Psalm 46 and Genesis 22. Those are our two passages this morning as uh, we get in the Word. And uh, as you're making your way there, I want to share with you what's coming up next because today we wrap up our generous uh, sermon series. And uh, it's going to be an exciting, uh, really, a time for us as a church as we are going to be venturing into studying one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark, over the next several months. Starting next Sunday, we launch a series called The Servant. And we're going to be learning about the life of Jesus, tracking him, studying him, learning more about who he is. And that's our goal. We want to learn more about Jesus so that we can live more like Jesus and love him more and worship him more. This is who we are and why we exist as a church. Now, this sermon series will come with a devotional guide that we're building in-house. So when you come next Sunday, you will get a printed devotional guide that you can use throughout the sermon series and are encouraged to uh, during the week. We'll also have that guide available online as well so you can download it yourself. Now what's a little bit interesting about this sermon series and maybe different and just track with me on this is that we're doing this sermon series in two different series. What I mean by that is this fall we're going to be going through Mark chapters 1 through 8 and that series is called The Servant because we see Jesus in action and serving. Then we're going to break for Christmas and then 2023 when we come back we're going to pick up Mark in chapters 9 through 16. And that series is called The Sacrifice. You see, those chapters there, probably 80% of those chapters are devoted to the last seven days of Jesus' life. And we're going to take that all the way up to Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so it's going to be quite a journey for us of diving into Scripture, learning more about who Jesus is so that we could worship him. So it's going to be a great time that we will begin next Sunday. Looking forward to that. But today, we're not there yet. Today, we, like I said before, we wrap up our generous sermon series. I hope this has been an encouragement for you. It's a, it's a short series, but one that we are we're really talking about uh, um, how generosity is a lifestyle of sharing, a lifestyle of sharing uh, all that we are, all that we have, all that we will become. And the reason for that, the primary reason we're called to live this way is because God is generous, because that's who he is. Don't turn there, but let me just read to you a couple examples of scriptures where it talks about the heart of God and who he is. For example, Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, and my God will supply all your needs. John 3.16, a familiar one. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only son. Another one, Psalm 84, verse 11. No good thing does he, the Lord, withhold from those who walk uprightly. We see this over and over again in Scripture, and you experience it as you walk with him, that he is a generous God toward all of us. And he is seeking people who will reflect his character traits and practice generosity towards others. In fact, really, this is a big part of worship. 
A big part of worship is that we experience God's generosity with us and then we in turn respond to him and practice generosity towards others. This is part of what he's calling us to. And as we do this, you show and share the love of Jesus with other people. This is a part of what it means to to worship him and to love him and to practice our mission as a church to help people find and follow Jesus. This is what he's calling us to. And it's important to understand None of this is because God wants or needs anything from you. He he doesn't. He, He doesn't need your time, your talent, or your treasure. But what he longs for is your heart. He longs for your heart. He longs for your love. He longs for you and I to know and experience him. He longs for us to use the gifts that he has entrusted to you. Again, time, talent, treasure. That's demonstrated over here on the stage by the clock and the treasure chest and the trophies. He longs for you and I to put those into practice because that brings him pleasure and glory. Let me give you an example. This is for all of you who are parents or grandparents. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about, even aunts and uncles. That you have these kids that you love and you raise and you are so excited to see who they are and who they grow to be and how much joy it brings you when they use the gifts that you know they have, they put it into practice. Whether it's in sports or it's, or it's art or it's maybe musical abilities. And just to, like, the whole idea where, like, like you're, you're, you're playing catch with them in the backyard, and then all of a sudden they grow up, and they're under the Friday night lights, and you see them there. Or you hear them singing songs in the back of your car when they're little, and then fast forward, and they're singing on a stage. Those bring you so much pleasure. But on the flip side, when you know your children have these gifts, but they never use them, they don't, they don't pursue art and they don't pursue sports and they don't pursue uh, uh, music or whatever it is how God's gifted them. It's, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? And you're like, you're so, you have so much to offer. And that's a little glimpse of the heart of God. That he has entrusted you with so much, with time, with life, with health, with, with, with talents and abilities and resources. And he wants you to use them, not for your glory, but for his glory. And when you do, that brings him pleasure. It really does. And so that's something that, that, that again, and it brings you joy as well when you practice that. Again, generosity is a lifestyle. And it's something that he's calling you and I to do. See, it has nothing to do with what's in your bank account. It has everything to do with what's in your heart. And here's the thing about it, though, is I don't think anybody disagrees with anything I'm saying. I don't think any of us disagree with with this whole, how I've introduced generosity. But at the same time, have you experienced those moments when you know there's a serving opportunity coming up, but if you're honest, you hope your phone doesn't ring? Or, or have you ever experienced that situation where you get that sort of holy nudge to, to walk across the street and to introduce yourself or to serve a neighbor who you know is in need or, or you're aware of this or that or something that's going on and, and you know that's there and you're like, oh, I should. But then you kind of play that back and forth and then the opportunity passes and you feel regret. Or how about this? You sit down weekly or monthly or however you do it in your home and you go to... To, to pay the bills. 
and you got all the bills out and you got your finances and your calculator and you begin to kind of work it out and, and you get to the point of, am I going to give? And you're saying, well, yes, I'm going to give. And then, you, well, maybe I won't give this time. Well, it's a little bit tight this time. No, no, I need to give. I'm going to do this. We're going to give. We're going to give something. Well, there's not much left over. Tell you what, I'll do it next time. You know how you play the game sometimes? You just kind of, you know, how you work that out? Because see, when it comes to sort of living out generosity, sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we get to these places where we don't quite know what to do. And I want to ask a question this morning, and this is what we're going to deal with this morning. This is the question. Why is living generous so hard? Why is it so hard? Now, I, I guarantee this is something, whether you're online or on campus this morning, you have either asked this question or maybe you're asking it today. Why is it so hard to live generous? And, and the thing about it, too, is like if you struggle with this, you're not alone. See, generosity, just like uh, humility and just like prayer, is one of those things, it's one of those areas that, that you could ask any of us about it and we would all, if we were honest, say, yeah, I could probably improve. I could probably get better at that. And so you're in good company if living generous is a hard thing for you. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to unpack, and I'm just going to give it to you right now, what I think is the primary answer for why living generous is so hard. And then we're going to talk about this because I think this relates to every single one of us as an obstacle to living how God is calling us to live. And here it is. Your first fill in the blank. I hope you have a bulletin to fill in the blanks. But here it is. A reason we don't live generous is fear. It's fear. This is a primary reason for that. Because, see, here's the thing. See, the opposite of living generous is living afraid. And, and when, when your fear shrinks your faith, what it does is it shrinks your view of God. That's what happens. Fear forgets that God is God. It just does. Um, fear drives selfishness. It, 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 it drives a desire to get more and to keep more. I think if we're honest and if we could somehow learn this information, most of us, you and I, would be shocked by how much fear shapes and drives your life and mine. I mean, fear is a major thing, and it impacts this area of our lives as well. And so, so we know the fear that we feel, but then we read Scripture over here, and all of a sudden we're in tension. Because God is calling us not to live by fear. He says over and over in Scripture, don't fear, don't be afraid. And if you're like, if you're honest, but I am afraid. And so you're in this position of tension here with this. And the reason God tells us, he always tells us why we're not to be afraid. And the answer to why we should not live with fear, the answer is always the same. It's him. Because, because he is good. Because he is in control. Because he is your provider. That's the answer. And that's where we come to a place of faith and fear in which one is going to win out in the daily battle of your heart and your mind. This is why generosity is so hard. Can I give you an illustration, an example? And I hope anytime you travel, especially fly, I want you to remember this illustration. 
when you're, when you're flying on an airplane and turbulence is coming, the pilot will typically come on the over, overcom radio, whatever, and we all appreciate this, and the pilot will say something like, uh, as we're approaching or as we're going to be flying here, you're going to feel some turbulence. We're expecting this, and I want you to do two things. And what are the two things that he or she asks you to do? The pilot will ask you to first take your seat, and second, fasten your seatbelt. That, that's what the pilot is asking you to do and what we're all expected to do. Now, symbolically, the Bible says the same thing. Now, if you made your way to Psalm 46, and hopefully you see on the screen there as well, you can follow along in your Bible, we're going to see this play out illustrated in Scripture. Let's read together. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore... We will not fear. Notice, by the way, what happened. The, the place of coming to know fear and the command to not be afraid, where is it sourced from? It comes back to God's character and who he is. He is a refuge. He is strong. He is present. He is with you. That's why the psalmist says we will not fear. But it keeps going. It says, therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be moved and though the mountains be, be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. We'll stop there. The point being is that even when there's legit reasons for, for the Bible, uh, for, for experiencing fear, because you have these examples here of things that, yeah, that's kind of scary if that happens, the Lord is calling us not to fear in the midst of those things. Now, it brings us to the question, but how do I get to a place where I don't fear? I see how it says to not be afraid. I see how it says there. I see how it says that, that there's these reasons to not be afraid, and you're calling me not to fear, but how do I get to that place? I want you to jump now to verse 10. And I would encourage you to memorize this. I would encourage you to memorize this verse. Here it is. Be still and know that I am God. There it is. Be still and know that I am God. In other words, here you see it played out. It says to do two things. Number one, be still. In other words, fasten your seatbelt. Just, just get still. Just, just stop. Just slow down. Don't try to fix it all yourself. Don't try to figure it all, all yourself. Just, just pause. Take your seat. And then number two, and know he is God. And that's fastening your seatbelt. Because that's where your security comes from. Because that's where your, your, your grounding, if you will, comes from. See, every moment, you and I, we, we, every day, we come to a crossroads place of what's going to win out. The fear that I feel or the faith and trust that God's calling me to live out in this area of generosity as well as all of life. And so what God is asking us to do is to come back, to pause, and to then to remember who he is. Remember his goodness. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his strength. Remember his love. And it doesn't mean the turbulence stops. It still comes. And it will still be scary. And it will still shake. And you'll still kind of wonder, are we going to get through this? But be still and know that he is God. When you face moments like this of, God, how are you going to meet my needs? Just be, just be still. And know that he is God and trust him. God, how is this situation going to work out with this relationship thing? It's really hard. Well, here's where you start. Fasten your seatbelt and take a seat. Or take a seat first, then fasten. 
be still and know that he is God. If we, if we built this habit into our lives in those crossroad moments where fear creeps in, what a difference this would make. To come back, to memorize this verse 10 and to remember it over and over again. I am going to be still and know that God is God and I am not him. And that because of who he is, no matter what turbulence I face, we'll get through this. Let me illustrate it one other time in the scripture. Now, hopefully you turn to Genesis 2, uh, chapter 22. If you would uh, thumb over there, just flip over there. Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 22. There is a, a fascinating and important text here in the life of Abraham. I'm just going to pick up in verse 1. It says that sometime later God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. And then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. That is absolutely a test. God shows up in this amazing account. Now look, on the surface, this story, God sounds cruel, but he's actually up to something very very important, both in history, but also in the life of Abraham in terms of this test moment. The Lord is asking Abraham to give over to him what was most important in his life. And that's the test. Will you do this? Will, for Abraham, will you hand over your son Isaac? Now I want you to ask, I want to ask you to do something now. In this passage that we just read, it's up on the screen there in your Bible that you're looking at. What I want you to do is I want you to replace Isaac in this passage with, for you, what is something that is most important to you, which is your time, your talent, and your treasure. All that you have. I want you to swap Isaac out and put that into the text just for a moment. So in other words... The text would say something like this in your heart or in, from God's heart to, to yours. Take your, your schedule, take your plans, your dreams, your possessions, your money, your abilities. And God's saying, I want you to give it all over. I want you to give it to me. I gave it to you, but I want you to give it back. Will you do that? God is saying, will you let me have all of you? Now that's a test. If God were to come to you and to, to say that to you, how would you respond? That's, that's the tension here in, in, this, in this passage. Now you might be saying, but, but God may be asking me to, to, uh, to do something uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, God may ask me if I do that, if I just surrender all that I am to him, he may, he may put me in a position where I'm not in control. And frankly, I love to be in control. That's exactly right. The, the, these types of situations, I mean, you, you may fear, but God may ask me to, to give everything away. He might. But do you trust him? Do you trust him? And that becomes, again, the tension. Now, now Abraham passed his test. We're going to see that in just a moment. He, he was generous with his son, the thing he loved the most. And he did hand it over to the Lord. And that moment became pivotal in his life and his faith. So the question is, well, how did Abraham do it? How did he get to a place where he did it? 
And I'm thankful and I love. The text is going to show us. So jump down to verse 6, if you would, please. And we'll finish the passage through verse 8. It says, Abraham, uh, he took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son, Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up. And he said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, and here's the key. Here it is. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Which the beauty of this passage first and most is that that's Jesus. That's what that's talking about. It's a prophecy for the coming Jesus that the Father would provide the sacrificial lamb who would go to the cross in our place. But for Abraham's purpose at this moment, for him to answer with confidence, God himself will provide. You see, he didn't fear the sacrifice or being generous because he knew the heart of God. And in this case, he came back to who he is, that God is provider, that God could be trusted And so in this case for Abraham, the fear that he probably was going through as a dad heart, as well as what God has called him to in the obedience, which one won? Fear was put in submission to his trust in God. Not because Abraham is great or you and I are, but because come back to who he is. I want to ask you this morning. Do you really believe, foundationally to who you are, that you worship a God who is completely in control, who is completely good and faithful and loving towards you? Do you you foundationally believe that you work for a God who creates resources where there aren't any? He brings them into existence. That you worship a God who owns everything. This world is his and that he can provide all that you need. Day by day, moment by moment. And again, this is bigger than money because this is about our hearts and all of us that we would live in a generous posture toward God, that God who wants to be generous toward you is asking us to respond back with all that we are to him. That's our test. Abraham had his and that's ours. So how will we respond? I want to challenge you and this, this sermon series hopefully has challenged you in this area. I want to close now with some action step ideas. I'm going to give you, I think, four or five of them. I don't want you to do four or five. I want you to pick one. Just pick one. Or maybe two. But, but, but just, just pick one or two to help you and I grow in this area. So here, here we go. They're, they're not filling the blanks in your bulletin, but, but we're going to hit these here. Here's the first one. I want to encourage you to take advantage of some tools that are available to you. We mentioned earlier on in this sermon series, the website, I was broke, now I'm not. Check it out. It has, in the area of finances, lots of tools for you that you can use and resources and encouragement. Go there. Um, today, we release a brand new podcast in the area of finances. Pastor Tom is leading this one. And, and uh, check that out. So go to uh, the church website, click on podcast. They're all there. And you can check that out and get some encouragement and resources through the podcast. I also, for those of you who are on campus today, I have a, a tool for you. It looks like this. It's in the lobby by the box where Dan was talking about. 
about the connection cards go. It's called the 17 Attributes of God. I encourage you, pick one up today. Take it home with you because what it does is it brings you back to who God is and his character traits. Look at all of them. Each has a scripture attached to it. Read the passage. Memorize those verses. Hang it on your mirror at home and come back over and over again to retrain your thinking to who he is. Because the framing and the measurement and the evaluation of your life cannot be in your circumstances. Good luck with that. We have got to lift our eyes off of that onto him in terms of who God is and lock in there. And so I'd encourage you to grab one of those handouts. They're available to you and want you to enjoy that. Here's number two, another action step idea. It's this, that the only way to learn generous living is to do it. None of us are going to grow in the area of generosity by listening to this sermon. I'm glad you're watching online wherever you are. I'm glad you're here, of course, this morning. But we don't grow from learning information about generosity or even somebody standing up here and encouraging you to do it. See, you learn generosity in terms of God is generous when you are put yourself in a position to rely on his generosity. And you learn more about how, how generosity is fun. It really is fun. And, and it's, it's life-giving for you when you practice it, when you put this into action. It, it's just a way to remember, um, and we do have a picture for this, but what's the difference between a river and a swamp? Besides one of them you want to be by and build your house there, the other one stinks. And the answer is water flow. But see, this is how a good parallel to you and I in terms of our resources. For some of us, we, we get it, we hold it, we keep it, we have the scarcity mindset, and we just, we just hover with it. We become a swamp. But what God's calling you to is to be a conduit of generosity, that God pours into your life because he's good. And then out of that, you look for ways to pour out into the lives of others. And then guess what God does with a person like that? He says, that's awesome. I'm going to pour more generosity into him or her. And then you pour out to others. The swamp is a marker of fear. The river of trust. Of trust. I'm going to encourage you. Address this in your life. And if, if you say in your honest this morning, yeah, I'm a swamp. I get it. I keep it. I use it for me. And I don't share it with anybody. Well, repent. Repent. That's not what God is calling you to. Uh, here's number three. The next one, uh, just idea, is to come back to and remember that Jesus lived a generous life. I mean, think about it. Jesus didn't come. He wasn't born into his world and then just sit around and have people serve him. And then when like, the time is right, well, I'll go to the cross now. Well, he didn't do that. We're going to see in the Mark, uh, Gospel of Mark, he came and he what? He served. He loved. In fact, there's your next fill in the blank that Jesus lived given. I love that expression. And so we are too. Jesus is our example. So here's a challenge I have for you. I want to challenge you to you this week, grab your Bible, grab a cup of coffee and some time and read Mark chapter 1. This will get you warmed up for the sermon series anyway. But read Mark chapter 1. I just want you to notice all the ways and places that you see Jesus live generous. Underline them, circle it, whatever the case may be. And look at his generosity from Jesus just in Mark 1. And if you find that exciting, go on to chapter 2. There's a lot of great, just keep going. But I want you to see Jesus' example that we're called to pattern our lives after. And one last one, and we'll close with this. 
take a personal audit of your generosity. And I've put in your bulletin there some different places where maybe you're at. These are for your eyes only. But going from left to right, you have, you have the perspective that says, what I have is mine. I earned it, I'll keep it, and I'll enjoy it. But I want to remind anybody who, and if this is where you're at, at least be honest with it. If, if this is where you're at, the Bible tells us clearly over and over in an ultimate sense, you actually don't own anything. You've not brought nothing into the world and you ain't taken nothing out of it. You've been given it for a while, for a time, to manage it and to honor God with it. So maybe that's where you're at. Or the next one is maybe you're a person who you give, but you give from your leftovers. And if you're honest, there's not really leftovers. But if there's ever an occasion where you get motivated, maybe tip God or do something a little over here with, with your time. But if you're honest, you're not really living a life of generosity. The next one, just continue to the right. I will share uh, from what I have. And you can see as we continue to move over, we're getting more and more generous. And the final one is I will give generously. In other words, I will give what the Lord is calling me to give with full confidence that he's going to provide all that I need. This is radical generosity out of trust and love for a God who radically is generous with us. So I want to challenge you to do something this morning. Take your pen and mark where you're at. See, mark where you're at and then where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? What is God calling you to and what steps do you want to take? I'd like to invite the worship team to come up, please. Because here's one of the things I know. I know that this church, New Hope Church, is filled with people who practice radical generosity. It is. More than really any other church I've ever seen. There's people who are incredibly generous with their time, their talent, and their treasure. And for those people, whether you're watching online or here on campus this morning, that that do that, those people know something that the rest of us don't. Here's what they know. What they know is that the more that you move in your life toward generosity, the more you become a river and not a swamp, the more you take steps to do that, the more you experience God in a deeper and more meaningful way. It's the people who practice generosity that have that deep, abiding, and honestly enviable relationship with God that the rest of us want. And part of how they got there was trusting Him and coming back to who God is and submitting all that they are to Him. And here's the thing. In light of all that, this sermon series and even this message, it doesn't come from a heart that I don't, I don't want anything from you. I don't. See, I want this for you. I really mean that. I want you to experience that kind of relationship with the Lord. And so let's commit as a church. Let's be the most generous of people with our kindness, with our encouragement, with our time, with our resources, and with our love. Let's be radically generous because God is radically generous toward you. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to respond and worship to him. 
uh, who is so worthy to be praised. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning, we just thank you for this chance to, uh, to gather again one church in lots of locations. We're joined together by our love for you and our desire not just to know information about you, but to know you in relationship. And Father, I pray that for all of us, because all of us can be challenged in this area, that we, we walk away because your Holy Spirit is prompting us to make some changes where changes are needed. Father, we ask that you would help us to be generous. That you would show us where in our lives we need to practice this. That we would notice all the ways that you're generous with us. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that because of who you are, we don't have to live afraid. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. And remember, too, before we worship, that if you want somebody to pray with you this morning about whether we talked about or something else in your life, we're going to have some prayer support up here. And so come on up after the service for that. And they'd love to pray with you. Amen. Please join us in worship as we praise God for doing great things. Please stand and join us. Hallelujah, you 
have done great things. 